Hey there, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to Samira Stalks. This is a podcast about the dreamers out there and their stories of entrepreneurship. So if you're curious, creative, and you're ready to make an impact on this world, then this is for you. Welcome to episode five with me, your host, Samira Sohail. Thanks for coming by. I was joined by Alexander Warder, who runs the contemporary art gallery, Bus and Baum, in London, with another young lady who she bonded with over a scam as they were falsely employed as art consultants in a fake company for a while. In this episode, we'll hear creative ways to blend artistic and commercial aspirations with her reckless vision of selling performance work by young solo artists, which isn't the easiest product to monetize. How these two young ladies are rewriting the tried and tested gallery model, not trying to get exclusivity on artists, but instead encouraging them to self-publish on social media and incorporate reactions into their works. And lastly, Alex's philosophy to having a lot of fun when doing any kind of enterprise. She details her encounter with a young Italian collector who, in his words, is building a collection just as good as his body. Today I'm with Alexandra Warder, who set up a gallery called Boss and Baum in Peckham, in London. She uh, has an upcoming artist called Miriam Austin as her next exhibition, who is exploring ritual and new religion. Uh, but before we start talking about your gallery, Alex, I want you to take me back to your childhood and uh, just tell me a bit about the first piece of art that you remember that you, uh, you were inspired by and you thought, hey, I want to work in this industry. Um, I, I there was never really one specific piece of art that I think ever motivated or encouraged me to work in the industry but it was generally just um, visits to galleries and spending time in museum spaces in London I think probably around the age of 16, 17, 18 okay. when I would find a lot of solace and time alone just to go to places like the Tate Modern um, Tate Britain um, some larger galleries which I spent quite a lot of time in the Serpentine and I was really I just enjoyed it, it was very much a just enjoyment that I did in my own time at the same time as I was studying um, and also working I was doing the law conversion okay. at one point so that that's that's what I was trying that's what I was aiming to do and then I had a couple of friends who were doing internships at galleries and really enjoyed it and I thought you know I just want to do this I just want to do it for fun, essentially, (laughs) (laughs) which was quite strange because I was also doing internships and, um, you know, placements in law firms at the same time. Um, And then I, it sort of went, the balance shifted as I thought, you know, eventually I could just train as a lawyer. It would be a sensible thing to do. Um, I did enjoy it. Like I enjoyed the sort of academic side of law. I think it was just in practice. I thought, you know, I would not spend too many years working as a lawyer and then I would go and do something in the arts and then it slowly shifted yeah until I thought I'm um, there's no point even doing it and I just want to go and work just in the arts. the arts and so I just um I got a maternity cover position in a gallery great um at Marlborough Fine Art which is um a very it's an interesting gallery that's been around since the 60s and has worked with some very iconic artists and so it was a, it was an interesting foray into the world of contemporary art and how did you find that first foray when you were actually like working in it? Was it everything you expected? Um, I mean, no. I mean, it, I, I, I loved it. And I, I loved asking questions about what it was like working with some of these big artists. Like, you know, worked with um, 
Lucian Freud and Francis Bacon, and I wow. think they had Mark Rothko as well. You know, but there was a big lawsuit against, about that with Mulberry against the Mark Rothko estate. And I used to love sort of finding out all the questions and you know <laughs> what to ask, and never got actually any interesting re- responses. I tried to dig around it at one point. There was one interesting book that I located on the whole lawsuit and never actually um, found it. It sort of went out of print and there was, you know, I never managed to dig down a copy, but I I enjoyed it, all of that kind of side of it. I think, you know, in practice, I was just doing everything that a normal gallery assistant would do. And so, you you know, you do a little bit of everything. It's by no means um, hugely sophisticated or elegant or, you know, you just get involved, you get your hands dirty and do everything, basically. Cool. Define what art means to you, and uh, why does it matter? Again, very wide, um, scoped question, but I think uh, it means, for a lot of people, it's very much what it means to you. So you, you can create that very much as anyone who would go into a gallery or face any kind of art, and this actually extends, I think, to theater and performance art and sound art and everything. Um, and this is why I'm specifically interested in contemporary art because you can you take your own interests and you know you re- sort of reflect them basically when you look, when you look at the work. Yeah. And I think it's very good in terms of you know exploring questions that you you might have, finding answers. Just, it's like a soundboard essentially. Yeah. You know, you a mirror. You're a mirror. Potentially, you're coming to the art and it is helpful yeah it reflects contemporary world in in the art that's what contemporary art is it's very contemporary it is looking at the contemporary so you can see all kinds of issues and thoughts and you know the very essence i think of what is happening now which is very interesting okay and take me through um to today so you started off um working in a, a small a small gallery but a, a very prestigious gallery and then when did you decide to kind of take the leap and set up your own and talk me through some of that yes it was an interesting it was an interesting journey and I think how I mean it wasn't planned in any way it was a oh, very really? no my goodness no you know I always speak to people and they say you know I want I've wanted to do this since yeah. I was about 10 years old and it, was, <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't nearly as planned <laughs> or organized as that um, which is it, it's amazing when things ha- when things happen and you look back and you think you know how how has this happened? But it's just it it feels very lucky and also very natural and right at the same time as I hadn't necessarily always planned it to happen like that. So I'd had a couple of jobs working with a few uh, art consultants, and I met the girl Lana who I run the gallery with okay. at a, at my previous job. Um, to setting up the gallery we worked together on an exhibitions team which was um with this new company and anyway, we to cut a long story short maybe i shouldn't cut the story short so but, no we're not going to so we had um it was 10 people employed uh, employed through a, quite a reputable arts yeah. <laughs> company yeah. okay. in um london who ever a, a recruitment company yeah and um then set up this company to do art consultant type work for private investors um 
you know what? It, it was it was a bit of a medley of, of things of what yeah. she wanted to do this particular yeah. woman. Anyway, it, it it was a bit of it was a scam. It was a yeah. I remember scam. you she didn't paid have, or something. Yeah, she she didn't have she didn't have a company. There was there was no money. It was um it was a total disaster. And I suppose in in hindsight, it was it was obvious. And we had all asked this recruitment company. Mm. Is it legit? Yeah. Have you checked it out? And they had assured us that it was. And it, it was a ter- it was a bit of a terrible situation, essentially. A couple of the other people that had been employed had gone on gardening leave, you know, for three yeah. months and stuff like that. And then we'd started working, and she wasn't able to pay. Anyway, Lana, who I was on an exhibitions team with, yeah. and I had started talking about various ideas of things that we would do together, perhaps in the time whilst we were looking to actually find another secure job mm. and we'd set up and done various pop-up shows um in temporary spaces with artists that we were interested in and then it and it just grew from one thing to another and so we had done that and we were working part-time at, at the same time in order to support it and then it got to the stage where we thought you know we would like a permanent space and so that's how it grew okay great we have a very similar vision and i'm very lucky to have met lana so again it's a sort of a timing thing we had a very similar vision and we still do and it's interesting working with them another young woman so yeah we we communicate a lot together and we are great friends but it's also a professional relationship and we try and sort of nurture it as such but it you know you have to get good communication channels between the two of us which we're good at now so. how would how would you describe uh, I guess your joint vision for for your gallery and also your curatorial style so the types of artists that you're taking types of work that you're showing we we're, we're very interested in performance work at the moment mm-hmm. we're interested in live work we're quite interested in um, art that's looking at you know, environmental eco issues at the okay. moment. That's something, but I mean, this is very of the moment yeah. in the last well, sort of month. It yeah. changes. Yeah, it changes a lot. There's no sort of stri- strict um, like parameters with when, within which we work. But we do like to work with solo shows. We like to give artists a solo exhibition. Mm-hmm. So when they're young, that's quite a. It's a unique thing, really, especially in a city like London, to have such a big space to do something on yeah. their own that isn't part of a group show and then they can you know we, how big is the space it's just under 3,000 square foot and I was there luckily uh, mm. earlier to see it but uh, describe to the listeners some of the charm about it how would you describe it's an old industrial space in Peckham very close to Peckham Row Lane in um, it's in an estate called Copeland Estate which now compromises quite a few young businesses. So we're right next door to a young carpentry workshop. And then there's, you know, lots of other young companies. There's a pottery um, shop that does workshops and courses. There's a couple of young restaurants. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say someone, they're sort of, you know, supper club type yeah. things that people come to yeah. and all kinds of things but like this that. This idea so really of uh, experimental and, and new yeah, it really helps. And yeah, it's an industrial space, um, and lots of industrial spaces all together. And there's actually, there's a lot of churches in the area as well. So the, the space that we had used to be a church. And I think about a year before we moved in, there was an electrical fire. So the church had moved out and the space was empty. And then the landlords had converted it. And we came along just at 
the, the right, right time, really. And because since then, there's been a lot of growth in the area. And there's also a very interesting artist um, community in Peckham. There's a lot of studios. Okay. And there's about, you know, there's probably about, you know, nine or ten artist-run spaces, galleries. There's also the South London Gallery. There are some non-profit spaces around. So it's a real little mecca to be in. So yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. Um, and it's wonderful to be a part of it. And it's really helpful as well to have all of the other young, like-minded people. Like, as two women coming into a big gallery space, we get a lot of help also just in general, just, like, the practicalities of heavy lifting yeah. and things like that. You know, it, it's yeah. useful. If we were just in a big gallery space on its own, you yeah. know, we wouldn't have that infrastructure or that support. So yeah. it's been... It's a really wonderful place to be. Nice community. Nice community, and it's great for our artists when they're installing to also have the help from yeah. us and from other people. People are very generous, and it, it, it's good. It just it's a, it's positive. Yeah. It's good energy. It's nice. You know, we get a lot of people involved coming to the space, and so um, yeah, it's good. Great. I'm glad to hear that. So I actually took an evening class mm-hmm. <laughs> for art. I'll show you some of my stuff at the end, but. Um, and thank you again for like letting me uh, stalk you to do this interview. Mm-hmm. But I asked some of my interviews, um, who are some of the people that you've kind of had to stalk along your way to get the gallery oh, up and running? And, and do you mean yeah. just out of like interest? Well, both firstly for your business, but then yeah, yeah. secondly more. I mean, gosh, I stalk people all the time. <laughs> Surely, I think that um, I, you know, we've sort of. Gent- gently touched upon this but um, the, very, the last person that I was talking was on Friday which was yesterday I think um, this is quite funny actually I, I had received a email um, I'm just on I'm, on I'm on lots of emailing lists I received yeah. an e- email about this um, young Italian collector who was building a collection that was going to be just as good as his body Okay. And check out his body on Instagram. Okay. So I thought this is this is bizarre, and I immediately went um, into my Instagram account <laughs> to check, out, to check out who this Italian collector is that had a good body. Um, and then you know saw like some amusing pictures of him either just posing on his own or posing with a piece of art or whatever. <laughs> I just thought you know you never know. Um, I always you know. I, I don't know what I was thinking. Maybe I'd had too much coffee or something. I was having a good time. I I'm strongly believe that you have to have a lot of fun when you're doing any kind of yeah. enterprise like <laughs> we do. So that's my <laughs> mantra. Having lots of fun. I just um, scrolled down to this picture of him with not wearing many clothes, doing a handstand, and thought, um, and just like wrote, <laughs> wrote on the bottom of it, I said, you know, I was like, hi, at whoever it was. Um, I've heard I, I've heard that you are looking to build an art collection that's as good as your body. I think we should have a chat. Great. <laughs> it was very funny. And he replied and said, why not? And then we ended up um, emailing. And so that was yesterday. So we are actually emailing. So you, you might become yeah. a collector. So that's great. <laughs> um, might not. But anyway, the point is, is that actually, you know, stalking has all kinds of rather negative qualities. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of, action on social media which is incredibly informative and interesting to see what people are doing i mean yeah. instagram specifically visually it's very good for the arts yeah a lot of artists now use it galleries are you finding a lot of artists kind of self-publishing and self-promoting through that 
Yeah, I mean, like, all of the artists that we work with do it, and a lot of them actually incorporate it into their practice. You know, it's a very it's a very interesting medium now. And I was speaking to someone yesterday who, you know, giving me advice on running the gallery, told me that I shouldn't be letting my artists do that. Why and not? I, it's and part, I should be stopping the, the dirt. Itself, like the reaction. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, sometimes people, it's very difficult to change the perception of how people should run these businesses. But it's very, it is very intrinsic to their work and mm. to how people work nowadays. And I, I don't see the problem at all. I mean, it's very much related to the idea of representation and that the galleries should be known for specific artists and people if they're interested in buying should go to us rather than art but I mean you know this is a very successful tested gallery model but these things yeah. change all the time yeah. and I so I don't believe that that is the case anyway well it's good that you guys are at the forefront of that yeah it's interesting I mean I think sort of you you wouldn't it would be difficult to get away from it if you wanted to. Yeah, you'd be on your Which own. Which I don't. I, I get a lot of enjoyment out of... Um, I get too much enjoyment out of stalking, as you say. What <laughs> <laughs> um, do you love people? What failure means to them and how they deal with it? And if you could take us through any of, I guess, your kind of failure experiences with the gallery or any times that you thought... You I mean, gosh, I guess we sort of, it. you know, fail constantly and... So, succeed I suppose constantly it's it's a mixture of failures and successes and ups and downs the whole time it's just it's just how you interpret them and how you look at it if if that makes any sense you know you can I think we we were chatting about this just a little bit before in terms of you can get people that are very testing and you can come away feeling very demoralized mm. perhaps about something and on the other hand you can have meetings with people that are very positive and they speak very highly of what you're doing but you know you have to sort of whilst taking things um that they say seriously and crit- and being critical of them you have to just be quite you know very strong stick to your guns and just carry on yeah um, um, so it, it's very much how you interpret successes and failures and how you learn from them. Again, this is a very, I mean, I suppose that's a very run-of-the-mill answer. I'm sure a lot of people will say that. But Specifically, can you like describe what you think uh, either one of the performance pieces that you've done recently or the one coming up on New Religion and Rituals? Like, uh, what, what, what kind of performance? We... One of the reasons why I really like performance and I think it's very valuable is because it's very it's very active, it's very in, in the present, it gets people into the space. And actually just to go back to what we were talking about before for the um, Instagram and people mm. taking photos, you know, there's a very much, you know, an interest in how people are recording art that they see and how they mem- remember it. Yeah. And I think it's an interesting antidote to that when you have live performance art in a space and you are experiencing experiencing it like then and there and with a specific audience that is created for you you know in a way that can never be replicated and that you can never experience it through any other medium and it's also interesting in terms of being accessible to large audiences I think and you know bringing children to watch the performance people react very well to it I think on the whole We're, we're, we're very careful and considered I think in trying to do performance that is accessible yeah 
um, and that is enjoyable. And you know that opens a whole other can of worms about whether performance is just entertainment or is it fine art and whether balances. But you know we you, it, no, it's just I think any of these things that provoke those kind of questions and discussion is interesting. And we can sort of continue to have that all the time. But a performance that we've done recently was, we did one with a wonderful artist who works a lot with dance called Janine Harrington. And she okay. works with a number of dancers and she looks at algorithms. Amazing. Of the, the, the movement of people in relation yeah. to other people. Okay. And so she'll get an audience that is quite involved or just walking around and the dancers will, you know, react and move accordingly change their speed and their pace accordingly. But what's interesting specifically about her work is that, you know, the the dancers get eye contact with the audience mm. and they smile and they, they react in a way that when you come away from it, you do feel like you've had some kind of human connection. Yeah. Which she plays around with yeah. in a very interesting way. So that's good. Punch Drunk were doing that. Yeah. With their pieces. Exactly. It's a bit unnerving, but at the same time, yeah. she did it in a way that wasn't unnerving at all. And I thought, you know, there, there was a lot of discussion against, you know, we went, we did a, quite a few tests um, in the gallery before, and we went to various other things that she'd hosted elsewhere where she was getting critical feedback. So there was a lot of thought and discussion into how it went, which we're also interested in as a young gallery. So it's the progress of art and its development Okay. as the artists are working. What uh, would you say your kind of reckless dream for your gallery or the arts are more broadly? I'd say the whole thing is pretty reckless. <laughs> <laughs> Every day it gets more and more reckless. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I mean, uh, honestly, we work a lot of the work that we do is not very commercial whatsoever. Okay. Of, you know, it's difficult yeah. to sell a performance. I believe that you can. Yeah. And we're looking at ways to commercialise it because yeah. I think it's important whether you're a non-profit space whether you're a charity whether you're a limited company to, to do work that actually can function you know financially yeah. like yeah. It, it has to it has to yeah. and we do you know we work with all different types of artists and so we work with some fantastic painters and sculptors but a lot of the work that we do mm. is, is difficult mm. to, to monetise and you know I'd say that is pretty reckless <laughs> um, in terms of uh, yeah. longer term visions we've got to see it's just a matter of um, time so seeing how long we can make it work for mm. and what are some of the other so we were talking earlier but what are some of the other ways you're exploring to monetize not just through the art but the space itself or using the space well we're very generous I think with the use of space we often get artists come to us and say would you, would you mind if we used it to put on a show and this kind of thing and so we've had we've done that we've mm. we, before Christmas there was a group show curated by an artist that we know and he wanted to use the space and so we said absolutely they had it for a week it wasn't related to our program yeah. at all so we keep it very separate and from that point of view but it's a fantastic space and it's such a shame to keep it empty mm. we've done um we do lots of events in relation to the shows that we've done so we've done yoga classes we've done mm -hmm. a twerk shop <laughs> dance classes you know it's a very it's active but we mm. like to sort of keep it alive we've we hire it out occasionally People come and, you know, they say to us we should hire it out the whole time. And in practice, it, it, it's difficult when we've got a lot of the artwork there. Yeah. At this point, without having divided it up properly. So how do you think the arts uh, industry can uh, can help or can spread some of, I guess, its learnings to the other industries within the UK? 
Um, yeah, this is something that I think about quite a lot at the moment because there's, you know, boundaries, I think, between different industries and different econo- economies is very blurred nowadays. Um, I also think outside of the UK, you know, geographically, boundaries are, diff- are much easier yeah. to come by. I mean, yeah. like technology and access that you have between different countries makes it much more fluid I think and I would be I'm interested to see how you can actually like tap into that and industry wise when you've got a lot of different um artists exploring you know like let's say food or Mm. or food and how it's being transported across the world Mm -hmm. and like maybe you know predictions of food shortages this is just one example And then you have got, like, charities and foundations and lots of scientists, people working for these things. And a lot of artists will look at the material and yeah. comment on it and create and create art that is a way for people to have access to the information and to learn and understand about it. Mm. And I think that, you know, there's so many different industries with science and politics mm. and, you know, the, it goes on ad infinitum that I think can be explored through art to increase people's understanding and awareness and knowledge, essentially, which which helps, I think. Yeah. Generally. This is a this is actually a really like a personal question in mm. a way, but I was always sympathetic towards the arts growing up. Yeah. Like we'd go to theatre and the galleries and whatnot, but I actually only ever took a real interest after living in Paris for a while, and I think one of the reasons, and that was when I was maybe after university so 21 or something Mm. and what I think one of the reasons was because I was always really intimidated by the industry and by having like I don't know just not understanding contemporary art or just not understanding it and I think a lot of people feel like that uh that it's like exclusive or that it's Mm. not classist but yeah there's an element of that that's really interesting um what would you say yeah, that was interesting because I spent time, I spent about three months in Paris when I was about the same age, probably a bit younger, 18, 19. <laughs> but I remember also spending a lot of time going to galleries there and yeah. absolutely yeah, loving it. exactly. I don't know what it is about there. It's just, it's way more accessible and it's just way more in the grain of, of daily yeah, life. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder. I've, I've sort of, I've been, I've always been aware of that period um, of my life and how it did it was something that I really enjoyed. You know, we'd go to the Rodin Museum. I loved it, <laughs> you know, and and all of all of the museums in Paris. I, I wonder whether maybe it was sort of um, it was having it as a distance from where you a distance from where you grew up. Yeah, so you, you maybe where you grow up, you take that stuff for granted. You exactly. know, it's around the corner on the next tube stop, exactly. so you never go. Whereas when you're in a new place, you're I guess you're always more open mm-hmm. to the experiences around you. It's quite gentle in Paris, though, isn't it? Because you can kind of... You just you walk around and you take things in. It's sort of by osmosis, yeah, potentially. Just by being there. Just by being... Yeah, you know, whereas maybe in London it's a little bit more... It's, like, a bit more sharp-edged, potentially. Yeah, no, it's a shame. And I've, I, I have to remind myself often that people come to it with a very different sort of yardstick of knowledge... Exactly. ...than I do. And... Um, it's it's important, I think, to be, um, you know, I don't want to sound patronising, but to be aware and sort of, you know, patient and also trying to see... It, it, it's like it's like teaching someone something and trying to think about it from their point of view. Yeah. Potentially, but also um, with children, 
when they come to the gallery. It's a, it's absolutely it's incredible having them and seeing really? them. How I love it, seeing how they respond. How, how to do work. you want people to feel when they walk into your gallery? I want them to feel excited. Yeah. And like comfortable and open. I think okay. to you know, learning and asking questions. And that's why children are so great, because they don't hesitate for a second to ask questions. And no question is ever stupid. Yeah. At all. And I think sometimes a lot of adults will definitely hold back questions that they want. But that's the whole point of contemporary art, is that it's supposed to actually provoke provoke and elicit questions and thoughts and ideas. And, you know, you have to be an active viewer. It's not something necessarily to come in and just to look at and absorb. Yeah. You're supposed to actually ask, you know, why why are they interested in this? Like, what does it mean to me? Okay. What will it mean to other people? And, you know, so it's very frustrating when people come in and just look and think, oh, you know, this is very contemporary. Like, what does it mean? Like, is this is this is ridiculous or whatever? You know, they've completely, like, missed the point. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, can, I tell them that and then quickly they can, you know, go back and have another look. Revisit. And learn how to be open to it, yeah. Because it does; it takes it takes time, and the more and the more you open yourself up to it, the more you get from it. Yeah, and that is no different as anything else, exactly. Um, I'm just going to shoot some kind of quick fire questions (laughs) at you. (laughs) Great. Uh, Kind of don't think too much. (laughs) What is your favourite song at the moment? Um, this is a good question, but I was I've been listening to. The Barber of Seville by Rossini, quite okay. a lot. On I can't remember exactly which part of it, um, but yeah. So I was I've been enjoying that. What tea do you drink? Oolang Laksa, Oolang Lapsang. Okay. Who? Well, which Disney character do you most see yourself as? That's imp- Shrek. I just for, for, yeah. he's, he, he, he's great. I've always um, <laughs> that's good. I, I think that was one of my that was one of my favorites films. One of my favorite cartoons. Um, what did you want to be? Actually, what he's not want... Disney. Yeah, yeah, but that's fine. What Sorry, I, d- I don't know. I can't think of any Disney. Uh, what did you want to be when you were younger? I had no idea what I wanted to be oh, when I was younger. Okay. Not an artist, though. No, no, no. no, no. Okay. Uh, what was the last thing that inspired you? I thought Fumi was quite inspirational yeah, yeah. just now. I mean, she was talking about uh, Jeremy Hunt and all the, um, the 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 strikes and the cuts for NHS. I think she should get involved. Yeah, I know. Same. That was quite inspiring. I said she, as I said, she could use the space if she wanted to, <laughs> you know, have some kind of convention. She explained it very simply <laughs> for did. those uh, who are struggling. And this, what you're doing, is very inspiring. Oh, thank you. It's a, it's a it's a great network and uh, of just getting people together to talk about ideas that they have and trying to encourage other people to do it. Yeah, which is me speak to my last question actually, which um. Some Alexandraisms. So, what? Um, I hate the word advice, but what stepping stones or what uh, like takeaways would you give to people who are interesting in getting into the art world uh, of how to start and and what to do really to make those first steps? Um, I think it's um, it's a very difficult question. It obviously, depends what you want to do in the art world. You know, I think um, perhaps trying to figure out 
like what what is sort of true to you and what you are really good at and what you really enjoy it's very difficult when there's a lot of people and it is quite difficult in the art world there's a lot of people doing diff- very different things yeah you know working in galleries or working for non-profits it's very different skills I think you've got to really like listen to yourself and what you are actually very interested in before going um I mean with the art world just generally you've got to be very like patient and hard working to get into it it mm. could be a difficult industry to penetrate mm. I don't know I, I didn't I literally walked in off the street to Marlborough and was just lucky that there was something at that time I think after after that that had finished I found it very difficult to get a secure job and I think you had to just be comfortable with the ambiguity I mean it's just so it it's so so difficult to get something that is secure so I think you've got to be very flexible okay I mean, that's dreadful advice. Get, get, not, I'll ask me not. another question in terms of advice. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think in terms of... Sorry, just to yeah. jump on, but I think in terms of advice for doing running your own thing once you have decided what you want to do, yeah. which might take time, Yeah. Um, I think a lot of using your gut and instinct and intuition is important and working with people that you get on with and see eye to eye with and don't push it too much you know there are people that sometimes you don't see eye to eye with yeah and you don't necessarily feel comfortable working with and that is not going to bring out like the best side of of any of you yeah of either of you yeah and so you've got to I think really know sort of where like what routes to follow and like which directions to be pulled in accordingly Mm. At the same time, I think you also need to know when you have to get on with it mm. and just um, rise above that. But obviously, you know, if you push against it too much, it takes it just takes too much energy out. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for listening, and remember to subscribe to this podcast to get automatic episodes downloaded straight to your phone. And please leave a review, five star ofs, in iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher. The list keeps growing uh, wherever you listen to this. And if you haven't already, check out my site, samirastalks.com, and sign up to my newsletter for resources and my blog. And do get in touch on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Next time, I'm interviewing Mark Jenner, who will take us through his story of Beeline, a new hardware navigation product for urban cyclists to encourage a greener, cleaner transport movement. We'll hear about his ingenious strategy to manage outsourcing production in China, how to smash Kickstarter funding target in just three days, and lastly, why reaching out to Jennifer Aniston on this niche cycling product isn't just a whimsical celebrity hustle. Join me then. Toodles.